Alright guys, and welcome to Don't Tread on America. I'm your host, Don Q. How's everybody doing out there today? Welcome to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Redcon1.com. That's right. Redcon1, that great supplement company out of Florida. Please guys, check out the link at the bottom of the podcast app in which you are listening to this on. And uh, click the link, use promo code T20Cordimus, and uh, buy some stuff, man. Get healthy. Let's go. It's new year. New new year, new you, right? Isn't that the isn't that the saying? But no, seriously, check them out. Great stuff. And uh, speaking of podcast apps, guys, if you're listening to this on Apple, please, if you could give me a five-star rating, and uh, no matter what app you're listening to this on, if you could please share this with your friends. So uh, today's show is going to be our third part, third and final part of the series, The Rise and Fall of Great Empires in History. And um, this concluding uh, part will cover the British Empire, which is probably the most popular and uh, notable, I guess, empire in history. Um, And then also... The, the American empire, which we live in, um, most people don't think of it like that because we're living in this time. Many people in the previous empires that we spoke about didn't think of themselves as an empire per se. They just thought of them as what they were. Um, we, uh, we as Americans don't necessarily think of it like because we're just living our lives, right? It's, it might be the people in power. But nonetheless, we will conclude with America. And uh, the whole point of me doing this series was to cover the, the biggest empires in history of mankind and how do they equate to what we're dealing with in America. And, you know, we had rise and fall of Persia and the Roman Empire, the Arabian Empire, the Mongolian Empire. We're going to talk about the British Empire what brought them to all to power and what all caused them to decline and what is the mirroring images of what we're dealing with today. So um, now I just, I do this on every one of these shows. I just want you guys to remember this quote. And, and to me, it's important to our future. And this was a quote by George Santayana. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, of course, we more commonly know that phrase. It's been jumbled up and changed around just a tad, but it basically goes, those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. So, like I said, we've we've covered four of the five most powerful empires in our history. Um, and, of course, I'm throwing in the six, which is, which is America. But... Um, the British Empire, uh, yeah, you know, the British Empire, right? No. <laughs> it basically started in, I don't know, the late 1400s and ran all the way through the, I don't know, I would say probably the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Um, so... Excuse me. 
that uh, that's pretty good. So that's the British Empire. No. Uh, the British essentially made the modern world. Okay, British institutions have represented democracy inspired by French Enlightenment philosophers such as Manifesto uh, to, <clears throat> to devise theories of modern government that influence other modern European states. The main characteristics of the United States, the commitment to liberal, uh, liberalism and the rule of law, civil rights, and trade were inherited from the British Empire and spread throughout the world. Most of these characteristics evolved organically throughout the long history of England, rather than being a result of some master plan. The characteristics were also instrumental by helping the British Empire grow, thrive, and hold whatever territory it controlled. Moreover, it example was widely emulated, whether for its financial prowess or its naval strength. At its peak in the early 20th century, the British Empire stretched across almost a quarter of the world, the largest of any empire in history. Now, if you recall when we talked about Persia, Roman, Arabian, Mongolian empires, they stretched out a pretty long ways. The difference between those empires and the British Empire was their naval strength. So in, in the early years, the, um, you didn't see many of these empires venture out to sea. That was unknown. Now, um, when I say so, like the Persian and Arabian empires were basically in the same area. They stretched anywhere from Spain to India, but it was all land land coverage you know they could get to wherever they needed to go in their in their empire on by land um the roman empire did venture to sea but it was more like the mediterranean sea they didn't really have to venture you got to understand back in those days there was no such thing as america as far as they knew so if they in their minds if they sailed out to sea if they sailed out into the atlantic ocean they were going to fall off the edge of the earth so they only knew what they knew. They only knew Europe and Asia and the Middle East. They only knew those land masses. It wasn't until, you know, Spain, which, you know, obviously wasn't an empire, but the, the uh, British Empire had sailed the seas, discovered lands. Um, so, you know, with them, with them uh, covering a quarter of the world, their empire, you know, stretched to the so-called four corners of the globe, right? And this feat was made possible more, more because of England's organizational feats and financial prowess rather than through a huge army. For example, when the British uh, conquered India, it was mostly undertaken by Indian troops who the British actually paid. So Britain as they were taking over uh, India, they just paid, <laughs> paid you know, the soldiers that were there a regular salary, offered them benefits. And, um, you know, so <laughs> they basically turned uh, countrymen of other countries to, to their side, so to speak. London also demonstrated a remarkable ability to handle multiple wars at once. And while they sometimes lost battles, the British very rarely lost wars. So, what does it all mean, right? 
So the British Empire was composed of the dominions, colonies, and other territories ruled or administered by the uh, United Kingdom and its predecessor states. It began with the overseas possession and trading post established by England between the late 16th and early 18th centuries. At its height, it was the largest empire in history and for over a century was the foremost global power. By 1913, the British Empire held sway over 412 million people, 23% of the world population at the time. And by the 1920, it covered 35 million, um, 35 million kilometers, 24% of the Earth's total land area. As a result, the constitutional, legal, and linguistical and cultural legacy is widespread. At the peak of its power, it was described as the empire on which the sun never sets, as the sun was always shining on at least one of its territories. During the Age of Discovery in the 15th and 16th centuries, Portugal and Spain pioneered European exploration of the globe and in the process established large overseas empires. Envious of the great wealth these empires generated, England, France, and the Netherlands began to establish colonies and trade networks of their own in the Americas and Asia. A series of wars in the 17th and 18th centuries with the Netherlands and France left Britain following the 1707 Act of Union with Scotland, the dominant colonial power in North America. Britain became dominant power in the Indian subcontinent after the East India Company's conquest of Mughal Bengal at the Battle of Plassey in 1757. <clears throat> so, as I read on here, what we're going to go into is in the mid to late 1700s into the 1800s, you'll see how was the beginning of the end, so to speak, of the British Empire, in, in my opinion. And that basically started with the American War, the Ameri you know, the Independent War. Um, so <clears throat> the American War of Independence resulted in Britain losing some of its oldest and most populous colonies in North America by 1783. British attention then turned towards Asia, Africa, and the Pacific. After the defeat of France in the Napoleonic Wars, Britain emerged as a principal naval and, 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 and imperial power <laughs> uh, over the 19th century and expanded its imperial holdings. The period of uh, relative peace from 1815 to 1914, during which the British Empire became the global hegemon. What the hell is a hegemon? It is a political economic and military predominance of one state over other states in ancient Greece. I'm not, okay, so anyway, they were the dominant force. was later described as British peace alongside the formal control that Britain exerted over its colonies, its dominance, and much of the world trade meant that it effectively controlled the economics of many regions such as Asia and Latin America. Increasing degrees of anatomy were granted to its um, white settler colonies, uh, some of which were reclassified, 
reclassified as dominions. So I'm going to add a little bit of what I think. Because, you know, it's my show, right? Fuck it. <laughs> okay, so the period of relative peace, right? It states here from 1815 to uh, 1914. See, where I'm going to disagree with this is, and, and not to get on a whole other tangent about Britain, and England and whatever else, because I know we have people that listen to us from England. But I'm going to say this about that. Why, why do we as Americans care about the stuff that goes on in England, as far as the Queen and 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 furthermore, I don't live in England or been to England. I would assume in England they probably deal with a lot of the same things we deal with from a. Uh, from a news standpoint, is there? I would assume they get bombarded with American news. Oh, like this is going on, and Biden did this, and Trump did that, and Obama did this, and whoever the president is, and you know our TV and movie and music stars, and I'm sure it's it's equal in the sense of. But if I lived in England, I would probably think the same thing. Who cares about what's going on in America? And like I saw over the weekend. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, oh, 70 years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who cares? Meghan Markle and Prince Henry, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? <laughs> I, I don't care. And this is why. Okay, in 1775, right, we started fighting with Britain to, to for our freedom. You know, by 1783, we declared independence, and we were America, right? But a lot of people ignorant to the fact of history of what actually happened in this country, think that, okay, you know, we were British colonies, there was 13 colonies, we um, got pissed off, we threw some tea in the water, we declared our independence, 1776, and that was that, right? Well, we constant, it was a constant battle, okay, so once we declared our independence in 1776, that wasn't it. We weren't actually a country until 1783. Um, the, a few years later, I say a few, it's more like 20, 30 years later, during that course of time, there was, there was still interference from England. So we were the new kid on the block, so to speak, right? We were a new country. We were a small country at the time you know it was the 13 colonies we I think we had spread out a little bit you know but you still had Spain was in Florida you know in Mexico um I think California you had France was in Canada I mean we didn't run the show so to speak we were a very small country at that time and this this whole country this whole country that we know as North America, and I'm not just talking about U.S., I'm talking about Canada also, was was a vast, undis- undiscovered land with a ton of, of um, resources, you know, especially even back then. There was gold, there was tons of wood, there was, I mean, this was untapped land. And uh, we had no idea what, what, was in store for this country, for this land. And, you know, everybody wanted a piece of it. France, Spain, England still wanted, England was pissed that we, that we did what we did. 
They weren't happy about that. And then we went to war with them again in 1812. We also had a war with Spain. We had issues with France. We, we had a lot of fighting to do to grow up, to become the country that we are. To the point where, so you had the Battle of 1812, or the War of 1812, you had issues with Spain, you had issues with France, um, on top of the things that we were dealing with in this country alone, with, you know, with Indians and the things we did to conquer this land, but um, more so this 1815 to 1914 uh, period of, of relative peace. Okay, so obviously that would have been after the War of 1812. But what happened in this country, and this is what I bring up to people when I say, why why are we why do we care about what goes on in England? Okay, cool, we're friends. There are allies, <clears throat> but why do we care? We're allies with a lot of countries. We're allies with France. We're allies with Germany. We're allies with a lot of these countries, but we don't constantly get news about those countries and what i mean by that is we don't constantly ah, shit we're, <laughs> we're uh, canada's our next door neighbor and we don't get as much news about these countries and what i mean by that i'm not talking about things that happen like news oh there was a bombing here or there's a you know a trucker convoy in canada right everyone knows about that those are obviously big news stories if there's those types of things i'm talking about the queen 70 years of blah 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 Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, Prince this, and we don't hear about that shit in France and in Germany and Canada. We don't hear about that stuff. Why? I don't know why, but why do we hear about it in England? We should we should have just as much animosity towards England, in my opinion, as we do towards Russia and China. And the reason I say that is, I know it sounds weird because you're thinking, well, British are our friends. We're friends, okay? But like I said, we're friends with a lot of countries. And we deal with a lot of countries that hate our guts. But um, in 18... <laughs> I brought this up the other day. I was talking to someone. What happened in this country in the mid-1800s? Right? We had a revolutionary war. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm an idiot. A civil war. Right? And that was North versus South. It was about slavery. And I get it. Civil war... I think needed to happen and um and and that's it is what it is but what happened during that time you had England try to finance the south because a divided country made us more vulnerable so England felt that if they financed the south then that would help continue the the division and then you know enable Frank I'm um, sorry and enable England to come on in and try and take over again because they were still pissed and like I said even at that point in 1865 we were still a new country we weren't even a hundred years old then we weren't even you know we were barely getting our shit together when the Civil War happened so They've always been kind of a, a thorn in our side, so to speak. Then, once we kind of asserted our dominance as, you know, quit quit messing with us. All these countries quit messing with us because they couldn't beat us. 
You know, they couldn't come over here and beat us. They tried, but they couldn't do it. They finally just gave up. They figured those Americans are just too stubborn. And, uh, but then in 19, what was it, 1915, 1916, when World War I started, it was like Britain, you know, Europe in general, but Britain needed our our help, right? So by the start of the 20th century, Germany and the United States had begun to challenge Britain's economic lead. Military and ec- economic tensions between Britain and Germany were a major cause for the First World War, during which Britain relied heavily on its empire. The conflict placed enormous strain on its military, financial, and manpower resources. Although the empire achieved its largest territorial extent immediately after World War I, Britain was no longer the world's pre- preeminent industrial or military power. In the Second World War, Britain's colonies in East Asia and Southeast Asia were occupied by the Empire of Japan. Despite the final victory of Britain and its allies, the damage to the British prestige helped accelerate the decline of the empire. India, Britain's most valuable and populous possession, achieved independence as part of a larger decolonization movement in which Britain granted independence to most territories of the empire. The Suez uh, Crisis confirmed Britain's decline as a global power, and the transfer of Hong Kong to China in 1997 marked the end of any of of, um, the British Empire. Fourteen overseas territories remain under British sovereignty after independence. Many former British colonies joined the Commonwealth of Nations. A free association. Jesus Christ, I cannot talk today. A free association of independent states. Fifteen of these, which include the the United Kingdom, retain a common monarch. Currently, Queen Elizabeth II. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. So it says fifteen of these, including the United Kingdom, retain a common uh, monarch, which is the Queen. Right? Do you know? what those countries are. So, what does that mean? A commonwealth realm, right? So, a commonwealth realm is a sovereign state in the commonwealth of nations that has Elizabeth II as the monarch and head of state. Each realm functions as an independent state equal with other realms and nations of the commonwealth. Okay, so what does that mean when I say these things, they're just words, right? We don't, I don't mean anything. <laughs> it's interesting because the the countries that are involved in this, and I'm I'm not going to read them in this order. I'm going to read them kind of out of order because a lot of people don't probably realize this. So the current Commonwealth um, realms. So. Um, <laughs> The the current ones, obviously, United Kingdom, right? And then there's one, two, three, four, five, six that um, that people probably don't realize. So you know, we knew the colonies. Okay, so I'm not when I say colonies, I'm not talking about us, United States, right? I'm talking about so we know Australia. So Australia was a 
was an, originally like a penal colony, essentially. They sent all their prisoners there, ended up becoming a country, so on and so forth. So um, the 15 Commonwealth realms are Antigua, Barbada, Australia, the Bahamas, Belize, I'm going to skip one, Grenada, which Grenada... Back in the 80s, you know, there was the island of Grenada. It was off of um, South America, blah, blah, blah. And then there's some other, okay, it's like Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea. And then there's some little islands here, like you got St. Keats, Nivas, St. Luca, St. Vincent, the Grenadas, um, Solomon Islands, obviously United Kingdom. But <laughs> I was looking up something for, for a future show, and I was looking at Justin Trudeau. And uh, so he's the prime minister of Canada, right? Well, do you know that Canada is a um, is a part of of England? I, I didn't know this. So, in 1952, Elizabeth II was the monarch and the head of state of seven independent states. That's uh, United Kingdom, England, whatever. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Pakistan, and, and Ceylon. Since then, new realms have been created through independence and former colonies. But my point being is Canada, the Queen of England, because we went to Canada a while back, and uh, their money has the Queen of England on it. Like, Why is the Queen of England on, on the um, you know, Canadian money? Well, it's because they're a part of Europe, of England. I, I did not know that. And it's weird to me because one would think, if anything, they would be more like part of France because a lot of Canada speaks French, right? Oh, it's just weird. But, you know, whatever. I, I just didn't know that, to be honest with you. I had no idea that the uh, that Canada was a part of <laughs> was a part of England. But nonetheless. So... Basically, I'm not going to go into the details of of England. England rose to power much like the the previous four um, empires that we spoke about. They rose to power based upon um, military might and overseas exploration. So, as they grew militarily, and not even just militarily by having a strong army per se, as much as a strong navy, um, they just conquered lands. And it wasn't even that they conquered lands. They might have just discovered lands, and there was really nothing there, or whatever the case was. And um, they just gained land. So it, much of the, the empires we talked about in the past was size, right? So they gained size of their uh, empires by having a strong military. And then as time went by, you, um, you're outstretched. And eventually, in, in the case of the British Empire, people got sick of the bullshit. And it kind of started here in America where we were like, you know, this is bullshit. You know, we felt like in, in the 1700s, in the mid-1700s, that we were British citizens. Even though we lived in America, we were British citizens. 
but we were being taxed to death, uh, oddly enough, no different than today. But um, they uh, they got sick of it, and we started to push back, and which is very much the reason why the Constitution was written the way it is. Now, granted, 250 years later, we have politicians that want to change it because they feel that it was written out of out of context you know what was it the uh, biden said the other day that you know about the second amendment no amendment is is just it, any one of them can be changed and that wasn't written that you could own a cannon and i said on one of the shows when i talked about it the other day i was like it didn't say you couldn't own a cannon it said bare arms it didn't specify what those arms were nonetheless um I think with us declaring our independence, going to war and doing the things we did, it enabled other countries to follow suit. Now, granted, in seventeen hundred, you know, in the late seventeen hundreds, we didn't have the technology you had today. Obviously, everything had to travel by boat or horse or whatever. You didn't have planes and internet and TV and all that shit. So, obviously, news spread slower. That's why a lot of these empires lasted as long as they did, is because. It, you know, it took a while for the news to travel. But, and then, you know, as I read, over time they fell because I think in a sense they kind of got tired of, of, of spending their resources trying to uphold everything. You know, it's basically, in my opinion, the way it broke down. So, um, you know, overall, the seven steps in a lifestyle of great, of uh, great powers, great em- empires, basically are this. You have the age of outburst or pioneers, okay? The age of conquest, the age of commerce, commerce, the age of affluence, the age of intellect, the age of decadence, and the age of decline and collapse. Okay, so let's move into the American empire. Okay, so I just read you the seven steps in the life cycles of a great empire. So let's equate that to America. So the age of outburst, or pioneers, right? So the age of outburst would have been us declaring independence in conjunction with pioneers, and that would have been kind of like the expansion of this country, moving out to the west, crossing the Mississippi, and going west, right? Now, granted, those things didn't happen overnight, we had to conquer land of in this country, whether it was you know from Native Americans or uh, other countries, Spain, France, you know whatever the case may be, and then maybe purchasing said land. Um, but nonetheless, pioneers, nonetheless, the age of conquest, same difference. Now, the American Empire, obviously, our outreach. Um, land-wise, if you want to go there, or territorial-wise, isn't as expansive as other empires. You know, you have the the continental United States, right? The 50 states, right? Then, or, well, the 48 states, I should say. And then we expanded out, and we have territories, which at the time, you know, this was years ago, we purchased um, Alaska, right, from Russia, and you might look at the map and be like, why in the hell did we purchase Alaska? What's the point? 
Well, it was more for the resources, really. A lot of a lot of resources up there. <clears throat> and then you could say, well, why did we why did we take Hawaii? Well, same thing. A lot of recent no. I think I think personally Hawaii, a lot of these islands that we took that we took as uh territories and then made made states or made a state out of Hawaii, obviously, but like Puerto Rico, which, you know, may or may not ever become a state, I don't know. But um with it being a territory, I think it's more of a more of a positioning uh for our military in, in my opinion. Obviously, there's a military base in Hawaii. Um, I, I think that's more of a sense. You know, Puerto Rico has a big radar base there. Um, and that's what I think. I think it's more of a pos- positioning thing. We kind of, but if you think about it, we really don't have a lot of land outside of those few territories that we have. Different islands here and there, and then. Um, the the expanse of our outreach, I guess, if you want to say, is militarily. You know, we have bases all across this world, right? <laughs> a lot of countries. There's a lot of bases, whether they're naval, air force, army, combination, whatever the case may be. That's more of our outreach of of dominance is our military spread across the globe. And as we saw in previous empires, it's collapsed. That was part of their problem. They they were stretched out too thin. Now, granted, we can afford to, the way our military, the way things are set up in this country is your active military, whatever branch, you know, can be spread out across the country, you know, Japan and Europe and South America Africa, India, um, and then our territories, wherever. Um, Because we don't have, (laughs) oddly enough, a huge military presence in this country, per se. I mean, obviously, we have military bases across this country, and there are military people here. But we also have your reserves. You have your National Guards in different states. On top of the fact that you have people like us, you have Americans with guns, you have that unknown military might, so to speak, that I would I would want to believe that if push come to shove and we were invaded by a foreign entity, that we wouldn't have a problem. I would hope that especially the people listening to this show wouldn't have an issue with going red dawn so to speak you know what i'm saying anyway so then you have the age of commerce the age of affluence so that's what we do you know trading selling becoming a global power from a uh financial situation uh the age of intellect these are all things that we have already achieved and the age of decadence so in my opinion if you look at these life cycles of great powers, we 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 have way past the uh, age of outburst and pioneer. We don't do that anymore, right? We don't con- conquest anymore. I mean, one could argue that point and say, "Well, look what we did in the Middle East, and didn't look what we do when when we um, 
try to go to the Middle East and Vietnam and all these other countries and assert our whatever, but I think that's more of your age of affluence trying to spread our our way of life, so to speak. But even so, I think we're more towards the ed- edge of the age of decadence into the age of decline and collapse. That's just my personal opinion because we we waver back and forth on <laughs> who we are. But each stage helps progression to the next as the values of people change over time. Military, political, economic, and religious developments all influence and empires people to act and believe differently over time. So the first two stages or ages are the warrior's adventure. Some mainly values drive an empire to gain power as it conquers lands from others. Later, following the ages of commerce commerce and affluence, businessmen and merchants who normally value material success and dislike taking unnecessary risk take um, over the highest levels of society. Their societies downplay the values of the soldier. So um, this this is this will be the important part, sowing the seeds of decline. During the age of intellect, schools may produce skeptical intellectuals who oppose the values and religious beliefs of their empire's earlier leaders. So before I read on, just listen to what I just said. So during the age of intellect, schools may produce skeptical intellectuals who oppose the values and religious beliefs of their empire's earlier leaders. So what do we see what does that mean to you? So schools may produce. So that's schools. That's anything from elementary school to college. May produce skeptical individuals. So when your child goes to elementary school, when they're in kindergarten, first, second, third, they don't know shit from anything. Everything they know, for the most part, they hear from these teachers. And then we hear how these teachers are woke. And they want to. these school boards want to do uh, critical race theory. And they want to do this. And they want to do that. We, if we as parents don't install our values and religious beliefs that this country was built upon, will we sow the seeds of decline? And it's been going on in this country for shit, probably damn near 70 years, realistically. Why? Who? Who is doing this? Because. I, you want to believe that we're running the country, that that Americans are running this country. You know, Biden's our president. Trump was our president. Obama, these were people, you know, supposedly they were all born and raised here. And it just doesn't make any sense. Why, why are we losing our values and our religious beliefs in this country? Because it obviously goes against you. Look at the past empires. Those who fail to study the past are doomed to repeat it, right? For example, the medieval Muslim philosopher Avencia and Averroes, by accepting much of ancient Greek philosophy, weren't orthodox in belief. Scholars also might manage schools that teach the ruling class and or some of the average subjects that are either mainly oriented forward uh, towards financial success or simple, simply impractical. For example, in early Roman Republic, students received a basic education that stressed character development and virtue, 
but in later Roman Empire, teachers taught rhetoric or the art of speak, speaking when emotionally persuading assemblies was no longer of political or practical value. The corrosive effects of material uh, success encouraged the upper class and the common people to discard the self-confident and self-disciplined values that helped create their empire. The empire eventually collapses. Perhaps an outside power, such as the so-called barbarians in Rome's case, wipes out, or uh, maybe an energetic, energetic internal force, such as pro-capitalist reformers in the Soviet Union, finished the job instead. So, basically, if you if you take your eyes off the prize, if if you if you forgot what your country, what your empire was built around, you try to change it. You try to become woke. You try to put your your citizens against each other. You're you're gonna collapse from within. You're gonna just, and that's why I feel, unfortunately, that we're in that we're in that part. Whether it's the early stages, the middle stages, or the late stages, it's not you don't decline. It's not it's not rapid. It might take a hundred years. The problem with that is we could be in year seventy of that hundred years, right? And we we <laughs> I feel like this country is so blind to what's going on because I think I feel like that this country feels like, and I'm not just talking about our political leaders, but mostly our political leaders, but then the, you know, a hundred million people that follow these people blindly in, into the fact that they feel, I don't want to say we feel, I don't feel this way, but they feel that our government would never lead us astray. Well, if this last two years hasn't, open your eyes to the fact that that's not true (laughs) I don't know what to tell you and if you the folks listening to this show believe that then I I hate to say this but this isn't the show for you now obviously I don't believe that you feel that way or you wouldn't be here to begin with what we need to do as the small group of folks that are listening to the show and and between me and Chris that are talking about the things we talk about we need to spread the word. And I personally believe this is a good opportunity for this show to kind of break out. Okay? When I came up with this name, Don't Tread on America, it was based off the Gaston flag. And um, probably, I'm looking at probably the next series I do, and that's not going to be probably for another week or two. I still got a lot of research, a lot of writing, a lot of putting together. But I think what I want to do is go into the specifics of of this country, how this country became what it is. Um, and one of the aspects I want to talk about is the Gaston flag, which is obviously the our um, our logo. At this on the show now, if you if you watch us or listen to us on um, Apple, you don't know that because Apple will not post my the uh, our image on their podcast app because it's offensive. It's the Gaston flag. It's not offensive, 
and it's a play on words where the Gaston flag says, don't tread on me. We kind of mix that into don't tread on America, right? Uh, if you'd like to see it, go to our Facebook page, don't tread on America and Facebook, and you'll see it. It's beautiful. It's huge. It's lovely. It's beautiful. <laughs> but uh, for whatever reason, Apple won't put it on. Now, granted, all the other podcast apps were on. It's there, but nonetheless. Anyway, point being is... Um, as we get away from that, that, uh, pioneering spirit, so to speak, and the religious spirit, I'm not even saying that we have to be religious in the sense that you got to read the Bible every day or every week or whatever, but believe that, that there's something more than you. There's something more than this country. Um, I'm not telling you you have to believe in God. I'm not telling you that. You can believe in whatever you want to believe in. Um, but I do believe that we're losing our way in this country. And like I said, we trust way too much. We feel, like I said, we feel that the government will never steer us wrong. They won't do anything. We have the Constitution. We have free speech. We have this. We have that. We, we don't. We feel like we do. And that's what I was going to say is there's an attack on a lot of these podcasts nowadays. Now, you guys hear about this every day, depending on who you listen to, what news you listen to, what other podcasts you listen to. There's a constant uh, berating. Look at what's going on with Joe, Ray, Joe Rogan. Now, like I've said before, I've never really listened to Joe Rogan. Nothing against him personally. It's not that I don't like Joe Rogan. His show's just not for me because it's, you know, whatever. But um, he has shows and he has these doctors on and they talk about COVID and talk about the vaccines and people bash him and then people defend him and people bash him and people defend him. But then people start digging and they find this and they find that and supposedly he did episodes or whatever way back when and he said the N-word and whatever. Now people that were defending him are not defending him. It's, now he's becoming woke and he's taking shows up. I mean, we we might have an opportunity to sneak in under the radar, especially with our namesake and kind of, you know, help me spread this word because um, I don't, <laughs> how can I put this? I don't really, I really feel like I don't want this country to go away. I, I, I would want to believe that 330 million people in this country don't want this country to go away. A lot of people can sit here and say whatever they want to say. Oh, this country needs to be this way, and we're we're too toxic masculinity, and we're too white, and we're too whatever. But I'm here to tell you right now, most of the people, forget about what you see on the news. Forget about what you hear on podcasts. Forget about all of that. Block that out of your mind. When you personally go to a store go to Walmart, your grocery store, wherever you go, when you're out and about, for the most part, you have no issues with anybody, no matter what color they are, no matter what religion they are. For the most part, you don't even know what religion they are, if they're even religious, right? You have no problem if they're young, old. Most people treat each other with respect. I believe that's fair to say. Most of anything we ever hear about, we hear on the news. Now, I'm not saying that bad things don't happen. 
obviously there's shit that happens. But isn't it, do you ever wonder why you see whatever you see on the news? It's always opposite race. It's always a black person did this to a white person, or a white cop did this to a black person, or a black person did this to an Asian person. You never see some black person killed some other black person, or some white person killed some other. You never really see that. Why? Because that doesn't serve the purpose of division. If a white person kills a white person, okay. <laughs> if a black person kills a black person, because that shit happens every day across this country. Right now, guarantee while I'm recording this, somewhere in this country, a white person's killing a white person, a black person's killing a black person, a Hispanic person. <laughs> I guarantee you, somewhere in this country, right now it's happening. You'll never hear about it. Now, you might hear about it locally. You know, in my local town today, blah, blah, blah. You might hear it there. But you're not going to, if I live in Florida, I might not hear of a white person killing a white person in, you know, New Hampshire. Because what do I care? But damn sure guarantee if a white cop killed a black person, man, woman, whatever, guarantee I'm going to hear about it. You had just had an incident in uh, Minnesota, right? Now, I don't know all the specifics of this, but from what I understand, no knock warrant. The gentleman was a legal gun owner. Uh, Cops busted in, yelling, shouting, whatever. The dude was asleep. It was middle of the night. When they pulled the blanket off him, he had a gun, and they shot him. Now, whether he pointed the gun, I know. I guess there's a uh, body cam footage, whatnot. That's I, like I said, I don't know all the specifics, but I'm hearing that maybe there was the wrong address. I don't know. Those kind of situations, you know, it's kind of fucked up. I shouldn't say kind. It's it's I, like I was me and Chris were talking about it today, and I was like, well, how would you feel? You're asleep. Someone comes kicking in your front door. You might grab a gun too because you don't know what the hell's going on. You're asleep. But nonetheless, the things, and that's why I keep telling everybody, watch the media with a grain of salt. When I see these things on the news about interracial conflict, I guess is a good way to put it, I, I kind of brush it off because, and guarantee it's going to cause some bullshit. It always does, right? Look at George Floyd. Look at all these different situations we've been dealing with for the last two, three years, four years, and Michael Brown, right? It's just a way to cause division. But then, to me, I don't see it. Like, when I live in Florida, you see the things that happen, you know, George Floyd, Michael Brown, these different situations that's happened over the last couple of years. I don't go to the store and then think, oh, my God, there's a black person. I'm scared. What do I do? And... I would assume they feel the same way about me. I don't think they're in the store looking at, look, there's a white guy. I wonder if he's going to shoot me. And I don't think they think that. I, I really don't. I think it's all made up bullshit, but it's part of this decline. It's part of sowing the seeds of decline. And if we don't get past this as a country, we are going to fail as a country. Look at the last, especially the, the the current president and the previous two presidents. Now, I'm old enough. I remember all the way back to Reagan, right? Now, I'm going to take Reagan and Daddy Bush 
out of the mix because I was relatively young. But let's start with Clinton into current. Clinton and W, I don't recall there being a lot of division in the country. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't crime and there wasn't white on black and black on white and cops doing this. And I'm not saying that didn't exist. But we didn't hear a lot about it. It wasn't like dominating our news, right? It didn't seem like until Obama was president. And I'm not necessarily blaming him. I'm not saying he orchestrated all this. But for whatever reason, we get a black president, first black president, you know, whatever. I've made this known before. I voted for him the first go around. Obviously, they didn't make that mistake twice, but nonetheless. The division started under him, not because of him or not to his doing, but when he was president. And then it got even worse when Trump was president because for whatever reason, and it continues on with dipshit McGee. When is it going to stop and how, I guess more importantly, how is it going to stop? It's like it's like pushing a, a snowball down a hill and it's just the little size of a baseball. And before it gets down to the bottom, it's the size of a fucking house. If we don't stop it, it's going to crush all of us. And uh, and that worries me because, um, you know, I, I found this article here and that's it's a little older, but nonetheless, America in decline, a society in denial. So during the 15, 1950s and 1960s, the United States was the richest and most envied country in the world. It was most unrivaled as the world's manufacturing powerhouse. America's proudly regarded their country as, the, as a model, and many people around the world agreed. Today, the U.S. is still the world's largest economy and preeminent military power, and is still a country of great resources and wealth. But things have changed tremendously over the past half century. More than ever before in our history, American people sense that something is wrong in this country. They are concerned about rising socioeconomic inequality, an erosion of national identity and purpose, increasing social polarization, and growing contempt for the U.S. around the world. Polls show that long-term trend, ever more Americans think that the U.S. is on the wrong track and that this country is in a state of decline. Surveys shed, no, surveys also show that Americans now believe that the life of their children will be less prosperous and secure than it has been for them. A popular song in the 1960s was California Dreaming. Had a line, I'd be safe and warm if I was in L.A. Los Angeles is still warm, but these days L.A. County is home of more than 1,300 criminal street gangs with 150,000 members. In one recent 10-year period, the total lives taken by these gangs was nearly 6,000 killed. That's more than the number of Americans who lost their lives in 9-11 attacks of 2001 and the Afghanistan war combined. Let that sink in. 150,000 gang members in a 10-year period, nearly 6,000 people killed in L.A., in the, you know, L.A. County. Now, did you hear about, the, I mean, if you didn't live in L.A., you didn't hear about those 6,000. Whether they were uh, gang members, whether they were white gang members, black, Hispanic, and they killed whatever race. You didn't hear about it because it was gang activity. In Chicago, there's a shooting every weekend or more. 
You never hear about it because it doesn't serve the purpose. No one in the world today looks at Los Angeles as a model city. Enlisting of the world's top 15 quality of life cities, not one is in the U.S. In a survey after survey, this country's place in global ratings of quality of life has been slipping. Likewise, the U.S. has been steadily falling behind in education, engineering, science, and basic literacy. During the 1950s and 60s, California had one of the nation's best educational systems with an enviable network of quality elementary schools. Today, the achievement level of California schools is nearly at the bottom for the entire United States. I mean, that's just crazy. And, um, excuse me, just a few decades ago, the U.S. was the world's premier creditor nation. Today, it's number one debtor nation. Perhaps most alarming of all, Americans now see the U.S. rapidly becoming an unrecognizable third world country. This is due to, above all, the dramatic transformation of racial, ethnic, uh, character in this country's population, a change that results in large-scale immigration from non-European countries, especially Mexico. The birth rate among Americans of European origin has fall- fallen below the replacement level. So I'm going to post this article on the show notes because I don't want to keep reading it. It's a pretty long article. If you guys want to read it, please click on it. I do want to point out this. This article is from the Institute for Historical Review. This article was written 12 years ago. (laughs) Tell me the little bit of it that I just read doesn't sound like this thing was written yesterday. So you could argue, well, it was written 12 years ago and nothing's really changed, so what's the big deal? Oh, my God. The point is, is nothing happens to the positive or the negative overnight. And even when I say overnight, it's not literally overnight. It could be a decade. It could be 20 years. If you notice, during the 1950s and 60s, blah, blah, blah. Well, shit, that was 60, 70 years ago, (laughs) right? What I want to get into... I'm not going to do it today because, like I said, I think that's a show for another day. I had an idea for a show, which maybe I'll do Wednesday. We'll have to see. But uh, well, I don't want to tell you what I'm what I'm calling it. <laughs> You'll just have to see. But it has a lot to do with what I believe started the decline of this country from the 50s and 60s when we were a prosperous nation. Now, obviously, in the 50s and 60s, we had our issues. We had racial uh, divisibility, you know, with, you know, the civil rights and whatnot. And, And I get that. But we work past that as a country. I'm more talking about the economic switch when we went from the majority of everything. Okay, think about it like this. You guys have all seen the movie. Surely you've all seen the movie Back to the Future, right? So, in that movie, you know, Marty goes back in time, you know, he gets whatever he's running, you know, the the Pakistanis or whatever it is, we're coming after Doc, and he jumps in the time machine, boom, 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 he's back in 1955, right? 
So he has to find Doc to try and get him back to the future, right? Anyway, so we know the premise of the story. But if you recall, when Doc Brown's looking at the gadgets and looking at the uh, at the the circuit boards and trying to figure out whatever, one of the things he says was, oh, "Look at this! This crap is made in, China, in uh, Japan." And Marty says, well, "All the best stuff's made in Japan." He's like, "Oh my!" But back in the fifties, all the best stuff was made in America. And I'm not just talking about all the stuff that we dealt with in America was made in America. Everything in the world. <laughs> it, you go to Walmart today. You go, I shouldn't say Walmart. You go anywhere today. And the majority of the shit you buy is made in China, Vietnam, Indonesia, right? Very rarely do you see, see stuff made in America. And you hear a lot of calls for these from different congressmen and whatnot. Don't buy it if it says made in China. Well, you you don't have a whole hell of a lot of choice. I hate to say that because what are you going to do? <laughs> There's very little shit made here in America. So you're just not supposed to buy anything? Instead of turning it on us, the the consumers, why don't we go out to the corporations that... Do sell the you know <laughs> do this and Trump was trying to do this he was trying to get things back to America years ago I worked for Walmart when I was young I was 19 and I worked for Walmart for about 10 years I was a man I made worked my way up into management at one time in Walmart's history they um they didn't buy. I think they. I don't remember the exact percentage. I want to say it was around eighty-five or ninety percent of the things sold in Walmart were made in America. Sam, when Sam was the president, when he ran that company, he refused to buy stuff that wasn't made in America. He believed in American jobs and things being made in America to the point where you had some foreign countries that wanted to sell goods in Walmart. So instead, they actually had to move their plants to America. <laughs> Oddly enough, there was a, there was a, I don't even know if they still exist, to be honest with you, but Sanyo was a TV and radio. They made TVs and radios. Um, I remember they, they actually moved to Bentonville, Arkansas and started making TVs and radios, electronics, so they could sell them to Walmart. So, American jobs were created. These are actual jobs that got created because we sold stuff in America. You can make the argument, oh, well, if we make shit in America and sell in America, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Well, they did it back in the 80s, sold the stuff in Walmart, and obviously it wasn't crazy expensive because you sold volume, so it was able to keep the prices down. But like I said, it's a show for another day. The point being is we've got to get back to American being American and we need to be selfish and we need to be righteous and we need to or or this country will go away and uh, someone will do a podcast in, in China and it will be about the decline of six of the greatest empires and they'll be asking the question is China next? <laughs> I don't know alright guys I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up there like I said I'll post this particular article in the show notes that way, uh, you guys can read it if you so choose. But for that being said, 
please uh, check us out on our website, DontTreadOnAmerica.com, and on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, Don't Tread on America, and on um, Twitter at DTOM underscore 1775. And if you want to check my personal Twitter out, it's PCGC underscore 1775. Guys, um, if you have any comments, anything you want to talk about, uh, if you have some ideas for an upcoming series, check me out there. Give me a holler. Uh, and then, for that matter, I guess I'll see you guys Wednesday. Make sure you tune in. But more importantly, guys, please make sure you share this with your friends. I'm available. This show is available on every podcast app with the exception of Pandora. And like I've said it once, I've said it before, fuck Pandora. <laughs> I don't know why I'm not on Pandora, but whatever. We're, we're in enough places. Amazon Podcast, Spotify, Podbeam, Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, and online. Guys, just check us out. Uh, tell your friends, and let's just keep this thing rolling. All right, for that, guys, uh, have a great day, and I will talk to you again on Wednesday.